Ego, 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 362 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fadden with you here on Sunday evening. It's about 11.30 p.m. I know it's a really late episode, but I do appreciate you being here on podcast platforms or on replay or here live on YouTube. I was waiting for Team USA, their game to be over against Team Mexico. Man, we'll get to that here in a little bit with Nick Martinez and just how that game unfolded. That that sucked to watch, obviously, rooting for Team USA. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff to cover. Bogarts, Netherlands being knocked out of the WBC. Craig Stammen likely having his career be done. Uh, Jerkson Profar, what is he looking for on the free agent market? What happened in the Padres spring training game today against the Oakland A's? Tatis, Morahone departing with an injury, Lugo, him starting, a little bit of San Diego State talk at the end. Uh, So thank you, everybody, for being here. And yeah, I mean, right off the top here, Colton says Martinez wasn't that bad today. I agree. Yep, I definitely agree. We'll get to that. Um, Yeah, the, the, the line for Martinez, that does not tell the whole story. I, I thought he pitched well but he did not get a lot of help from the defense. We'll get to that. I did want to start off with the Padres game against the A's earlier today. A's won 8-6. Rugnet Odor hit two home runs. That's great. I mean, I think it was a split squad game for the A's. This game was not on TV. This game was not on webcast. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Odor had some great swings on the ball. He had some great at-bats. We couldn't see it. I think they I think the Padres posted one home run, but we couldn't see it. So yeah. I mean, he's had some good moments, I guess, in spring training. I, I still don't think he's gonna make the roster, but I guess he does have an advantage being a major league veteran, a guy who is a lefty. Brennan Dixon is a righty, but Brandon Dixon can play the outfield in a pinch. He can play the infield as well. I think he still has the edge. I think Tim Lopes should get some consideration to make the opening day roster with how he's playing, because I believe he was in AAA last year, so it's not like he'd be jumping multiple levels to the big league roster if he made the opening day roster. I don't think he's going to make the opening day roster. I just think he should be considered, because he's having an amazing spring training, uh, doing all he can to make the roster, or at least make, make the Padres say no, right? Instead of just saying, yeah, I mean, you didn't play that well in spring, you're going to AAA. No, make the Padres say, you played really well. You made this decision really tough. We're still going to send you to AAA. Make them do that. That's what Tim Lopes is doing so far this spring. Uh, Jose Zocar, I believe he had another hit today. He's 10 for 30 this spring, hitting 300. I guess Bomel told the media after today's game that Zocar had some opportunities to go play in the World Baseball Classic, but he decided to stick with the Padres because he wanted to fight for a roster spot in Padres spring training. So good for him, obviously, having the Padres at the front of his mind. Uh, I definitely appreciate that. 
If I had to guess, I don't think Azokar's going to make the roster. I think David Dahl will because he's a lefty. I think Adam Engel will because he's the one with the major league contract uh, and he has more experience in the big leagues than Azokar does. I think he's just a better Jose Azokar, Adam Engel. And so I think it'll be those two guys. And you have Soto and you have Grisham. That's your four outfielders. I don't see them going with five. Because I think you're going to have, you have Cruz, you have Carpenter that will DH there, right? So one of those guys takes up a bench spot. You have Campy. You add the outfielder, that's four. And then an infielder, Brandon Dixon, right? Or Odor or whoever. Uh, so that's five right there. Usually, what, a five-man bench. So, or no, five-man or six? Would it be, they'd have another bat probably on the bench, right? It would be Grisham, Soto, Dahl, let's say, starting. And then Azokar. Azokar and, I'm trying to think, who else would? Dahl starting. Angle, I think, would make the roster over Azokar, at least right now. And I think that's what it comes down to. I think they were just I think they're just gonna go with four outfielders. Because if they go with Dixon, they could go with Dixon and then have another infielder on the roster. The roster as well, I I think I think if they wanted to. So maybe that's how they do it. Uh John Wells says Merrill had another RBI today. I mean, he's having some really good at-bats, right? He's not afraid to not hit it very hard. Just hit it the other way and go to first base, take the hit, and move on. Kind of like Tony Gwynn-esque, right? I I don't want to compare this guy to Tony Gwynn, but like, that's obviously what it reminds Padres fans of, that ability to do that, right? Just take it the other way instead of trying to pull everything, right? Um, what else? Lugo, he started this game four innings, no runs, one hit. Seems like he's getting really comfortable. But again, that's just me reading a box score because we couldn't watch this game. So I look, Lugo said he, he felt pretty good out there. He's still working through some things. He's developing a new pitch, I believe, with the slider. So he still has to get comfortable building up those starter innings and all that. But seems like he's getting more comfortable and the numbers are good so far, and I'd rather have the numbers be good in spring training than be bad. But it, that doesn't mean that he's going to go pitch well during the regular season, right? Uh, Tatis obviously was a story today. He was on the Padres' Twitter lineup that they posted, but according to Bob Melvin, he was never going to be in the lineup. They just didn't tell the Padres' social media people, I guess, that Tatis wasn't going to be in the lineup. So I guess he wasn't scratched, even though that's what the reports were right before the game started. He just wasn't going to be in the lineup because they're being precautionary, and it was a left knee contusion, according to Sam Levitt uh, and Bob Scanlon and other people around the Padres who reported that on social media earlier today. And I don't, I didn't see very many people overreacting to this because. It's spring training, and most Padres fans probably thought that, hey, the Padres, they're just being precautionary with this, and that's what they're doing. He's going to be in the lineup on Monday. By the time you're watching or listening to this, most people, it's probably Monday. So he's probably going to be in the lineup later today. 
DHing for the Padres. So that is good. It's I don't think we should be concerned about this. I guess Clevenger he picked off the other day when Tatis was on first and it hit Tatis in the knee. So that's what caused it, but he should be in the lineup DHing. So that's good. I don't want to elaborate on that anymore because I don't think we need to ex- to blow this out of proportion or overreact to this. Like it's a non-story, I don't think. Or at least I think I th- I should rephrase that. I think it's a non-story. I don't think it's like this huge story to be worried about. Um, Adrian Morahone, maybe this is something more to be worried about. He gave up four runs today. He departed after doing that. Gave up a bomb. And the issue was just above his elbow. So that's not great news, right? Exiting off the mound with the trainer. That's not great. Especially with Morahone, who has dealt with arm injuries before, right? And so it's like, all right, man, he's hurt again. Like, deja vu, he's hurt again. Like, the Padres, they have depth. Like, that's the good thing. They have depth. We don't know if Morahone's even going to be out for a substantial period of time, but it feels like he's going to be. It feels like he's going to be delayed, at least to start the year now, after walking off the mound. I don't think he walks off the mountain with the trainer and then he just gets back into Cactus League action when he's scheduled to do so a couple days down the road uh, or a few days down the road, whatever the Padres' schedule was with Morahone. I don't see that happening. So, yeah, uh, it's concerning with Morahone, him going off the mound like that, just like Stammen was. But I don't know if the Padres were having Morahone make the opening day roster. If they did have him making the opening day roster, it was probably as like the last reliever in the bullpen. Chris Matt and him, right? Like those are the two last guys I, I could think of probably in the Padres bullpen. And Steven Wilson, you can throw in there. Or if they make Jay Groom a long guy, maybe they go with Groom over Morahone, or at least maybe that was their plan anyway. And so this isn't that big of a deal to him to the Padres except just for depth. So it's still it's still a significant deal if Morahone, you know, is, is missing a significant period of time. Because they do have depth. They have good, you know, they have a lot of arms, Honeywell, Weathers, Kinnear, Pedro Avila, obviously Groom, Morahone, uh, Chris Matt. You know, you could go down the line. Is Wilmer Font still with the organization? I have no idea. Cole Hamels hopefully will be ready at some point this year. It seems like Julio Tehran, I totally forgot to mention him. I think he's starting on Monday, or at least getting some innings in. Honeywell's going to pitch in that game as well. Tim Hill is scheduled to pitch, so that's good. So the good news is like they have pitching depth right now, but that depth was stronger at the beginning of spring training. We had that Musgrove toe injury, but... That doesn't seem like it's going to be that big of a deal because Musgrove's working his butt off, and he's probably only going to miss like one start this at the start of the year, which is good. Maybe be ready for the first road game for the Padres in the regular season against the Braves in Atlanta. Uh, I'm I'm a little surprised by how fast he's recovered, and his pain is like a two on the one to ten scale. I was talking about that yesterday, uh, but that was an injury. Stamina, obviously, Morahone. Has there been other, um, I'm probably blanking on another guy that's gotten hurt this spring. Maybe not. 
But that's a couple significant names. I mean, Stammen, he was pitching well this spring. I don't think he was going to be an opening day roster guy, but he's someone that eats innings. Like he has a history of being able to eat innings and being able to stay healthy for the most part. And Morahone, he's still a young reliever that can throw in upper 90s. And the Padres obviously still believe in him. And Bo Mill was talking to the media after this game against Oakland earlier today, saying that, yeah, Morahone in that inning, he was still throwing pretty much regular velocity, upper 90s, with that fastball in the same inning he got hurt. Now, I don't know what his velocity was, the pitch that he got hurt, or I don't, I don't even know what the situation was because we couldn't freaking watch the game. Like, that would be great if we could watch spring training games ahead of the most anticipated Padres season ever. But, um, so I don't know what the situation was, but obviously when you hear someone walk off the mound, a young guy that has an injury history walk off the mound with the trainer, and the issue is near the elbow, the, uh, the issue is just above his throwing elbow, yeah, that's not what you want to hear. That's not great. And Morahone, he was going to impact this Padres team this season. And he still might. I mean, we don't know the timetable of the injury. But uh, this is going to set him back. Like like I said a few minutes ago, I, I don't see him just being able to resume his Cactus League schedule after exiting with the trainer. So, yeah, that that's not great. Um, not Me Solo says, for some reason, not worried about pitching. See, I kind of have that mindset right now just because of the depth that we have, and I do like where the bullpen's at. There's a lot of quality names there, but they could go down, and then the depth doesn't look that good, and we're less confident in the pitching. You can never have enough pitching, right? And so whenever someone goes down in spring training, it makes you feel a little bit worse about the pitching situation. But yes, I I still am kind of with you there. I... I still like where the pitching is at. I like where the rotation is at for the most part. Um, We'll see what Lugo can do rotation-wise. Seems like he's pitching well in spring training, but it's spring training. We'll see how long he can be a starter in the rotation. We'll see how Nick Martinez does in the rotation and if someone gets kicked to the bullpen. Uh, We'll see if Jay Groom makes his big league debut early on in the year, how he looks, what is is his role going to be. So... There's a lot of questions to be answered, and we might feel better about the depth or feel the same as the depth a few weeks into the regular season, or we might feel worse about just the pitching as a whole. So that's kind of like a a wait-and-see type thing, right? Uh, So that's pretty much what I wanted to hit on about Padres and the A's earlier today. I believe tomorrow's Padres game, Monday's Padres game, is on Valley. So that's good. Don and Mud will be back. That's good news. I did want to hit on Craig Stammen here. So he was talking to Kevin AC, I guess probably in the Padres clubhouse in Peoria, and he walked off the mound on Friday against Kansas City, and it was like, oh, no, shoulder injury. That's not going to look good. That's probably not going to be good. He's probably going to be out. Is this going to be it for Craig? But then Bob Elvin said, I think, yesterday, he feels better, he's more optimistic than originally thought about Stammen's injury. But then he comes back today, a day later, and then says he's not pretty much opposite of what he said yesterday. And he, he didn't really want to comment on it until he had more official word from trainers and doctors. Uh, but Craig 
talked to Kevin Acey and said, without saying that I'm done, it's highly unlikely that I pitch again. Torn capsule in his throwing shoulder related to last year's injury. So that's not good news. And I know there's some Padres fans that were like, yeah, I mean, Craig Stammon sucks. He throws a lot of meatballs. I mean, at least they didn't have to tell him to retire. Like, we'll just move on. And yeah, I understand that viewpoint. And I don't think he was going to make the opening day roster, but he was another depth arm. He was another guy that you could rely on for the most part to give you innings. Like those innings that had to be thrown to get through games because there was no clock. There's no clock on baseball. There's only a clock now to, to deliver pitches. But like you have to get outs, right? And those games where the Padres were getting blown out in 2019 and 2018 and 2020, he was the one that came in and pitched in those situations as a veteran. And so I appreciated that. I think diehard Padres fans appreciate that. His recovery time, if he were not to have surgery and rehab, I guess is four to six months. And at the age of 39, does he want to do that? Even if he does want to do that, what does that mean for his role with the Padres in 2023? Like, do the Padres want to have him rehab and then come back in what? Let's say he misses five months. That takes you into, what, August? That the season's the regular season's almost over. So I, I mean, the Padres can't count on him if that's the recovery time. They can't really count on him to do much for the Padres this year. So it's on a minor league deal. I think they could just put him on the IL and let him rehab, and he could be around the team. So they'll probably do that. Uh, but yeah, this news obviously sucks. I mean, six years with the Padres so far, 394 and a third innings pitched in the regular season. Obviously had that really good outing in the wild card game in game three when the Padres had no starting pitching left and he started that game and the Padres end up winning that game. Uh, and he seems like a really good guy. He's going to be remembered, hopefully by most Padres fans, as someone who was willing to bite the bullet. Take, or take the bullet. Is that the phrase? Take the bullet and save arms for games that were games that warranted the best arms to be used, right? Uh, just stamina. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a good comment there in the chat. Like a got a good clubhouse guy and someone that is valuable to the team. He's not going to get the spotlight. He's not Josh Hader or Robert Suarez, but just like Chris Matt, he's very valuable to the team. Him and Stammen, these last couple of years, right? Valuable to the team in the roles that they were in. Uh, so, yeah, it definitely, you feel for Stammen hearing this news. And he was talking to Kevin AC about, he was tearing up talking to, to certain guys in the clubhouse. So it does seem like this probably is it for Stammen. I mean, he, like I said, he, he admitted, highly unlikely that I pitch again. So, yeah, some sucky news there. He's one of those guys kind of like Will, right? Where did they, were they amazing throughout their Padres tenure? N no, not all the time. But they were here in 2017 when the team was losing 90 plus games, right? And they wanted to be here and they were hoping to be here when the Padres won it all. And Will was here for the NLCS run. Stammen was, but he didn't really contribute. 
And Stammen wanted to help this Padres team this year. And maybe he still will at the end of the season if he can rehab. And he can still have an impact on the team around the clubhouse if they allow him to be with the team. And I assume they would. Uh, But he's not going to really have that much of an impact, I wouldn't think, on the field. Which is a bummer to him. Because he worked back from the injury that he had last year. And he was pitching well in spring training. Had not allowed a run. And then he walks off the mound on Friday. So, that stinks. Um, okay. I'm just trying to go through some comments here. Gil says, I mean, this isn't stamina, but Ethan Salas, damn smooth with his glove work behind the plate. Yeah, I talked about him yesterday. 16 years old, catching Ryan Weathers, who's 23, which is young, but... He's still, what is that, seven years older than Ethan Salas? So, yeah, I mean, impressive. He's been impressive, and he turned around that pitch. I know he, it was a ground out, but he hit it hard. Um, yeah, he's he's not a regular 16-year-old. So, I mean, the Padres, they don't just go handing out $5.6 million bonus pool money to 16-year-olds, to any random 16-year-old, you know? Like, they've been scouting this guy for years. They know how good this guy is. And Preller and his staff, Chris Kemp, international scouting guy, like, they are really great at identifying talent. Now, developing it, yeah, there's questions about that. And you can criticize them for not being able to develop guys. But there are teams that every year seem to want the prospects that the Padres have. So they're they're very good at identifying the talent and having really good young players. And Hopefully, Salas doesn't get traded and he stays with the Padres and he can be the best catcher in Padres franchise history. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, it's one game, it's a few innings, but he looked pretty dang good. I don't think he played today. I mean, again, we couldn't watch it. Uh, John Wells says, I'd love to trade for someone like Corbin Burns, but I'm afraid to get rid of Merrill because with Bogart signed long-term, maybe the Padres think Merrill is expandable. Expendable, I think is what John Wells saying. Yeah, I'd love to have Corbin Burns as well, but maybe that's more of like a prior to the trade deadline move. Like, I want to see what this rotation is going to give the Padres before, if I was AJ. I want to see what my rotation is going to give me before I go trade my top prospect for Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns is a great pitcher. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball, but I like my rotation. I brought these guys in for a reason to help this Padres team. And so I don't want to make a move early and give up a gem of a guy, a gem of a prospect, which that's what it seems like Jackson Merrill is. All right, we'll get back to some more Padres talk. Let's get to some jerks and profar information and then the WBC here. But first, a message from Gaglione Bros. Check out Gaglione Bros' famous cheesesteaks and garlic fries on Friars Road. You can visit their website, gaglionebros.com, for their entire menu and enjoy their cheesesteaks and fries at Petco Park and Snapdragon Stadium as well. And so Bob Melvin, not Bob Melvin, Bob Nightingale. Sorry, I'm confusing my Bobs. 
so he has his like Sunday notes column that he puts out in USA Today every Sunday. At least that's what he's been doing these last few weeks, last couple months, it seems like. And buried in his article today, his column or whatever, his notes article, was Jerickson Profar and what he is looking for in free agency. That's the big mystery of this offseason, I think, is like, what the heck? Why is Jerickson Profar not signed? He was a leadoff hitter for a, a team that made it to the NLCS last year. Like he was a really impactful player for the Padres. How is another how is a contender not signed this guy? How is he not signed with anyone? He's playing on Team Netherlands, who just got knocked out, by the way. We'll get to that. Um, he's playing for them, playing well, homering in the WBC as a free agent. Like, I would not have predicted that if you told me back in November that, yeah, Profar is going to be playing in the WBC without a team. Like, that would be crazy. But we kind of know why. If this is true, Profar, according to Nightingale, still looking for a multi-year deal that's at least $10 million a year. More than $10 million a year. Multi-year deal. That's what he's looking for. And what team is going to want to give that to Jerickson Profar right now? Like, he, I hesitate to say like he made the wrong decision because he could go get like a one-year deal for more than $7.5 million, which I believe is what he would have earned with the Padres had he not went to free agency if he would have just stuck with that player option uh but i mean would he rather go to a team like the rockies who might be there's rumors that they're interested in him now because of some guys that have gone down i think randall gritchick went down and sean bouchard their dh went down uh so there might be a fit there does he want to go to the rockies for a a one-year deal or a one-year plus a club option or something or and maybe he would get more money with the Rockies, or would he have rather gotten less money but been with the Padres, a World Series contender, and been a starting outfielder on opening day for the Padres? Because that's what he would be. He would be starting in maybe right field or left field. He would be starting somewhere, I think, on opening day had he just stayed. Adam Engel probably would not have been signed, or David Dahl would not have been signed. Or somewhat, one of those guys would not have been signed because they would have had Profar, right? So, I mean, I think Profar is probably kicking himself. I, I mean, I thought he made the right decision at the beginning of free agency. I, I thought he was going to get a multi-year deal. I thought five for 75, like Benintendi got, was going to be too much. And obviously, that is, that's true. Like, that's too much. He's not going to get that from a team. But I thought he made the right decision. I'm surprised that no team has given him what he wants. Uh, this... Like, and I'm saying that, like, I'm surprised no team, no contender has given him what he wants, like, early this earlier in the offseason. Now, I'm not surprised that they're not giving him what he wants. Like, he's still asking for over $10 million a year, a multi-year deal. I'm not surprised. Teams have already filled out their rosters. And if someone gets hurt, they want to go spend over $10 million a year to fill that void? No. They want to probably bring in a minor league deal guy or a minor leaguer and bring him up, you know? Uh, especially for teams that are not contenders like the Rockies. They don't want to go spend a bunch of money. So based on Profar's asking price, I'm not surprised that he's still a free agent right now. I'm just surprised no team met his asking price earlier in the offseason. As long as it wasn't like ridiculous, but maybe it was because at one point, we went like a month without hearing anything about 
any jerks and throw far interest. So, I, I, if anyone's going to ask Padres, maybe I just don't see that happening. They're close to the luxury tax. They've already they already have Dahl. They already have Azokar. Both are playing well in spring training. They have Angle to a major league deal. Grisham, Soto, Tatis coming back. Like they've got outfield help. They, I don't I don't think the Padres are very interested in bringing back Profar because they're, they'd have to pay him millions of dollars, and I don't think they want to do that for an outfielder right now. Kind of with the pitching, I think they just want to see what they have with the outfielders. Like if Profar wanted to come back, that road would have happened. They would have went down that road a long time ago in the offseason. Yeah, John Wells says Profar is a bad agent. I mean, well, his agent's Scott Boris, who's like one of the best agents in base, in sports, maybe the best agent, at least for the big-name guys. I don't know about the small-name guys, but the big-name guys he always gets huge contracts for. I mean, he got Yoshida $90 million from the Red Sox. He got Bogarts 280 which a lot of people thought was an overpay, uh, way more than any other team was willing to give him. So... He does his job there. Now, the smaller guys, I can't really speak to that as well because there's some smaller guys that he that he represents that I, I don't know that he represents them, if that makes sense. The big guys, we know that Boris represents them because he's at the press conferences. You know, the big press conferences, Boris is sitting right next to them. Maybe that's in the contract or something. Like, he has to sit up there for those press conferences. For the smaller name guys, I mean, they sign a contract. I, I don't know that... That's a Boris guy. Uh, so Profar, I think, qualifies under the smaller name guys. He's not like a minor league deal guy, but he's not going to get a $300 million contract, obviously, right? He's not even going to get $75 million. So, yeah, uh, we'll see what happens there. I, I feel like this is going to drag into the season because no one is interested in signing Profar right now for what he's asking for. So it feels like he used this WBC as a thing where he's saying, okay, teams, I can still play. Come sign me. I don't know if teams are going to do that. And he's he's just going to sit there, keep training. He's going he's gonna to wait for an injury to happen because an injury is going to happen. At some point, an injury is going to happen. So that's the Profar stuff. Mill says someone will pick, pro, pick up Pro for the year. I think someone will pick him up. I, I just... Don't I, I don't know if it's going to be before the season starts. I think it would be like a contender if someone has an injury. And you'd think the Yankees, right? Because right now, with Bader out for the, like the first month, it's Judge, Hicks, Oswaldo Cabrera. Right? Those are the names. Stanton, you want to throw him in there? Right? Those are the names for the Yankees. So you think Profar is a fit there, but I think the Yankees already said this offseason that they're not really interested in bringing in Profar because he's probably asking for too much for their liking. So, yeah, I mean, he seems like a fit. I agree with you, Mills. I think the Yankees are a fit for Profar, but I don't know if the Yankees feel like Profar is a fit for them money-wise. That's what it feels like. And do they want to bring Profar in when Bader's going to come back a month into the year? It's not like Bader's out for the whole year like Montas is in the rotation, right? All right. Let's move on here to Xander Bogarts. I'll get to Nick Martinez, but I wanted to hit on Bogarts first. So 
Him, Team Netherlands, they were knocked out of the World Baseball Classic earlier this morning. Well, actually yesterday, because now as I'm speaking, it just the clock just turned to 12 a.m. So happy Monday, everybody. Thank you for those that are still up at 12 a.m. Um, man, it's really like 11 p.m. because the clocks went forward. But uh, Bogart, so Netherlands, they're knocked out. Profar, Bogarts, they're gone. I was surprised by this. I thought they were pretty close to a lock to advance out of pool play. I thought they were playing in the easiest pool out there. I mean, who's in it? It was Chinese Taipei, Italy, Cuba, and who am I forgetting? Panama? Like, that That seemed pretty easy, along with Netherlands, obviously. That, that, that seemed like a pretty easy pool to get out of. I mean, Netherlands, their history, they're making it to the semifinals. I think the last two World Baseball Classics. And they won the first two games. I was like, all right, I'm going to be correct here. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like a hot take. It wasn't this bold prediction. Oh, Netherlands is going to get out of pool play. But then they lost the last two games, and they ended up in third, I believe, in the pool because all five teams ended up being two and two. And it came down to the tiebreaker, which I believe is based off of, like, ERA, which might not work out well for Team USA if they end up having to be if they have to go through that tiebreaker scenario because uh, they got they got crushed tonight yeah they made a late run but they were down 11 to 2 at one point I mean just pretty embarrassing so like here's here's the I'm looking up on CBS Sports right now the tiebreaker rules for a three or more team tie the lowest quotient of fewest runs allowed divided by the number of defensive outs recorded in games between the teams that are tied. So that's pretty much like ERA, right? So that's one. And then two is the lowest quotient of fewest earned runs allowed. So it's runs allowed in total, then earned runs allowed, divided by the number of defensive outs recorded in games between the teams that are tied. Highest batting average, if it's still tied, I guess. Highest batting average in games in that round between the teams tied. Very confusing. I mean, couldn't they just make it based off of, like, run differential? That seems like it would be pretty simple, but I guess World Baseball Classic wants to make it confusing and complicated. As long as I'm not the one having to do this math and all that, who cares? Uh, I'm just glad I, I don't have to be the one in charge of the tiebreaker rules. But yeah, so Netherlands, they finished in third, I believe, in the pool because of that. And so Bogarts, he is the good news here for Padres fans is he's heading back to Peoria. He's not going to be sprinting out ground balls and diving for balls probably in spring training. And he should be healthy to start the year. Uh, he went four for 15 in the tournament, one home run, two runs scored. I was really excited when he hit that home run. I was watching live. I was watching live for the Soto double. The, the two doubles that he had the other day, the Kim first home run. I didn't even know he hit two home runs in that game. I came on yesterday saying that he hit a home run, and maybe I was saying that before he hit a second home run, so technically I was correct at that time. But I guess he hit two home runs in that game against, who are they playing? Uh, Czech Republic, maybe? So good for Kim. Uh, but yeah, so disappointing from Netherlands, those last two games. Losing to Chinese Taipei in Italy.
Oh, okay. Hoy says uh, they, they, they said they couldn't do run differential because of mercy rule. That makes sense because less innings played. Yeah, okay. But if it's mercy rule, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Okay, it's a shortened game, but that team won by 10 runs. It would only get worse if it was nine innings. I don't know. I mean, every team, every team's playing under those mercy rule rules. If they're up by ten in the seventh inning or later, the game's over. So, Are they, would they? Would they like? Would teams then try if they, if it was on run differential? Would they just go up nine and not go up ten in the seventh? Not go up ten in the eighth? And then in the ninth, they go score runs, but you can't control that. It's baseball. All right, interesting. I mean, I guess those people that are deciding this are smarter than we are, smarter than I am. So Bogarts, he's headed back. He'll probably be back in, in Peoria sometime this week, I would think. So I, I guess that's kind of good news. I mean, we want all the Padres to do well. We want them to advance. But there is kind of that, like, I don't know, the, the I don't want to say weight off shoulders of Padres fans, because it's not us with the pressure, but kind of like a deep breath. Okay, like, Bogarts is out of the WBC, just get him back to Peoria, have a nice, easy end of spring training, so he'll be healthy going into the season. Like, that's how I'm kind of thinking this, you know? With Team USA and Nick Martinez, I'm rooting for Team USA, so I want them going as far as possible. I want them winning the whole thing. Uh, DR, I mean, I want—I didn't really want Soto playing, but his calf's fine, so I want them going as far as they can, you know, uh, as long as they don't beat Team USA. That's how I feel about it. Like, Japan, Darvish, he's going to pitch, I think, in the semis. I think Otani gets the quarters against, who are they playing? Um, Australia, I think. Is it Australia or... I think it's... No, Australia was in Japan's group. I think they're playing Italy. And Australia's playing Cuba. I think those are the quarterfinal games on the left side of the bracket. Darvish, he's lined up for opening day if he pitches in the semis for Japan. So, go as long... I hope Japan goes as long as they can. But, like, Netherlands and Korea... Teams like that where I don't have a strong rooting interest. I'd like those guys to be back in Peoria and just take it easy the rest of spring and just be healthy. Bogarts can get more familiar with teammates, spend more time with teammates. You know, it's not it's not the end of the world, right? Okay. Um, let's get to Nick Martinez. So Nick Martinez and Team USA tonight. Nick Martinez, if you were not watching this game, you look at the line. And it doesn't look that bad. Or excuse me, it looks bad. It, it looks worse than it actually was. Two and two-thirds innings, three earned runs, five hits, gave up a home run, struck out two, 57 pitches. Did not get through three innings, obviously. But the three earned runs should not have been three earned runs. I mean, I have a video coming out, I guess, later this morning because it's Monday. Later this morning, uh, on my Baseball Struck YouTube channel, my Baseball MLB YouTube channel, I definitely recommend you check that out. Daily Baseball content. Uh, Daily World Baseball Classic Reactions. 
multiple times a day based on games that are being played at certain times throughout the day. In that video, I'm saying the same thing I'm saying here. Like, Martinez, he should not have allowed three earned runs. Like, he didn't allow three earned runs. He allowed three runs. Not all of them should have been earned. He should have allowed, like, one earned run. If you're going to count, like, the solo. It should have been a solo home run to Joey Manessis. Yeah, the pitch was right down the middle. It was a mistake pitch. That's on Nick. He would say that. Like, that was a mistake. But that was, like, one of the only mistakes he made in that outing. I mean, the grounder that Rosarena beat out, if you want to say he beat it out, it was a ground ball. He did his job. Tim Anderson dropped the ball. If he didn't drop the ball, he just fielded it cleanly, that would have been an out. Manessis hits a home run still. Okay, it's one nothing, not 2. And then the third run scores because Arenado makes an error, which wasn't called an error, which I feel like if Manny, Manny was at third, that would have been called an error. But he made... He, he, he botches a ball that Manny would have easily made the play. And it's called a hit. That guy reaches when he shouldn't have. Jeff McNeil drops a pop-up. And then Jeff McNeil, one, they're playing in the shift. And he has to run over to just the regular second base position, field it. And then he's like falling down and then spikes it into the dirt to Paul Goldsmith, who's like 10 feet away. And I guess that wasn't counted as an error. Because I looked at the box score, and it said Team USA had no errors in this game. And I can't believe that. All of the miscues that they had defensively, just with Nick Martinez on the mound, none of those were errors. That seems like pretty favorable uh, box score calling, if you want to call it that, by wh whoever was doing that. Uh, like Martinez, he, okay, he was a little rushed in that first inning. But I think maybe because he's just used to the pitch clock and the emotions of everything, but he settled down. He's, he, he pitched well after that home run that he gave up to Manessis. He had a one, two, three second inning. And then there were a few errors, a few in that inning that were not called errors. The Nolan ground ball, the pop-up that McNeil dropped in shallow out in the shallow, shallow right field, shallow right center. And then the bad throw by McNeil. Just spiking it in the dirt. Like, I'm not really putting that on Goldsmith. Like, that, that's a tough... I, I don't know if he was expecting McNeil to spike the ball. Like, he's like 10, 15 feet away, and he spikes it right in the dirt. Uh, that, that's a tough pick when he's that close. But yeah, I mean, Nick, I, I thought he pitched well. And it was really cool seeing him out there and him getting pumped up. That's what the World Baseball Classic's about, right? You look at Venezuela today. Oh, my gosh. Or yesterday, I guess, technically. Salvador Perez hitting that home run and pumping the crowd up. And Ronald Acuna Jr. making it an eight-run game. He's flying around the bases, dives head first, and gets pumped up. The catch at the end that he made and the backwards hat and just how they engage the fans. In Japan and Chinese Taipei, and was the game in Taiwan for Chinese Taipei? Wherever it was. Those fans were fired up. The DR fans, the Puerto Rico fans. It was like a seven-run game, and they were acting like Puerto Rico was like within a run. That's what's special about the WBC, right? So and Nick was showing some of that tonight. I'm not seeing a whole lot of that from Team USA. That same like fire that I'm seeing from other countries. And so I think that backs up my point. Like, yeah, these guys that are playing, they want to win and they care about representing the country, but 
it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean as much to those guys to team USA I think or at least to America as a country as it does to those other countries you know like Soto was willing to hit ninth to play in the WBC for the DR and Tatis said missing the WBC didn't he say a couple weeks ago missing the WBC hurt more than the suspension so I guess it hurt more than missing Padres games I don't think that goes over well with the Padres fans but uh it means a lot to the Dominican Republic players and to Japanese players playing in the WBC for Japan and Venezuelan players and Puerto Rican players right like it means a lot and it seems like it means that much to Nick Martinez. So that was cool to see him have a little bit of uh, energy and just confidence out there on the mound. He always does, and he always gets pumped up, getting pumped up for great defensive plays. Uh, but it was good. It, it, it reminded me of him in the playoffs. It, it was cool to see that earlier. Uh, it sucks that... Team USA, the offense was pretty flat throughout the night. I mean, yeah, they scored some runs late, but they had like two hits, I think, at one point. Um, two hits for a good amount of time. They had, I mean, just the lineup was pretty quiet. Cam Anderson had that RBI single, but like that was the action. That's, it was pretty bad. They finished with eight hits, but... There were a good amount of those hits late in the game. They scored four runs in the seventh and the eighth combined. They scored one run in the first six innings. Mexico outscored them seven to one in the first six innings. Not great. Pretty, I don't want to say embarrassing because Mexico's a good team, but it was disappointing, that's for sure. And now Team USA, they... Have to play Canada later tonight, 7 p.m. With kind of their backs against the wall. If they lose, they're one and two. And the best that they could do is be two and two if they beat Colombia, who just beat Mexico the other day in the first game that they played. And if they're two and two, I don't see them advancing out of pool play because of this loss to Mexico. Like that hurts. Giving up 11 runs to Mexico, that hurts based on the tiebreaker stuff, right? And if they're three and one, maybe they don't even advance because there could be three teams that end up three and one. The USA, if they win the rest of their games, Mexico could if they win the rest of their games, right? And what, Canada could because they're one and oh right now? I guess Colombia could as well. Either Colombia or Canada could be three and one. And based on the tiebreaker, USA might be left out. So tonight, might have been costly, but it was not most most of it I would say was not on Nick Martinez. Like he gave up to me. Maybe this is just me. To me, he gave up one earned run. Because there was bad defense behind him. And Daniel Bard sucked later today or later in the game for Team USA. Threw over like 30 pitches. And the offense, I mean, the first well, just go bets trout in this game. Combined one for seven. That's not good enough. First two games, bets is hitting 100. Trout's hitting 167. Uh, Arenado 0 for 3, and then he had that error. Will Smith did not look good at all behind the plate, I didn't think. 
he allowed Austin Barnes, I think, to steal second on him, who's his backup catcher with the Dodgers. He did hit a home run, but the game was over by then. So I don't know when the next time Nick, Nick Martinez would pitch. Would it be the semifinals? Because I know Martinez was the Game 2 starter. Darvish was the Game 2 starter for Japan, and he's, he would be scheduled to pitch the semis. So maybe he's the semis. Or maybe they go with someone else. But, I mean, Martinez, he's a real competitor, and tonight was not on him, I don't think. He, he was rushing in that first inning, but then he settled down. Uh, I, I had a feeling someone was going to bring this up. If Martinez started the game over Clevenger, we, we would have had a Game 7 NLCS. So, yeah, you're thinking that they would have won Game 6 back at Petco. They would have won Game, what was that, Game 4 against the Phillies because Clevenger uh, wouldn't have been pitching. Martinez would have at least gotten an out after the Padres put up, what, four runs? It was, it was four runs, right, in that first inning. Drury and Manny and like a lot of contributions from the top of that order. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it would have gotten to a Game 7. I think we would have felt pretty good with Musgrove in Game 6 back at Petco. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it would have gotten to six games. I, I can agree with that part. Yeah, Lauren, yep, Tatis was not eligible for the World Baseball Classic because of this, the suspension. That's just part of it. It's just another thing for Major League Baseball to say, hey, don't do this. Don't do the steroid, the PEDs. Don't get caught because then you can't play in the WBC. We thought Team DR was stacked without Tatis. I mean, imagine with them with Tatis. I mean, they lost to Venezuela, but I'm just talking about on paper. All right. I want to get to some San Diego State talk here real quick to end this. Uh, they're seeding and all that, but first. I want to tell you about the best and easiest way to play fantasy sports. It's Underdog Fantasy. They have great pick'em games and best ball tournaments. In pick-up games, just pick higher or lower on two to five players' stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. You can go cross-team, cross-league, and even cross-sport. Best ball revolves around the draft, which is what every fan loves the most about fantasy, and it eliminates the hassle of having to manage your roster all season long, resulting in a fun and easy fantasy product. How does it work exactly? You enter a contest where you participate in a snake draft against other users. That lineup that you drafted competes against every other draft in the entire contest. The better the combined performance of your team, the more money you win. After your lineup is all played, Underdog will take the best performing players and automatically set them as your starting lineup. That's it. No waivers, no trades, no worrying about who to start or sit. After you complete your draft, your part is done. Underdog Fantasy offers best ball in a variety of ways, including daily contests, weekly contests, playoff contests, and season-long contests. You can either enter into these and compete against thousands of other entrants for huge prizes, or, if you'd like, you can enter into a private draft with friends and family to compete for a smaller prize pool. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Sign up now by clicking the link in the description or by using the promo code TALKINGFRIERS 
and you'll double your first deposit up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of $10 or more. So if you deposit $100, you get $100 free. If you deposit $10, you get $10 free. All right, so my underdog entry for today's WBC action, I had Mike Trout, or I guess yesterday's action. I had Mike Trout one and a half total bases higher. Lindor one and a half total bases higher. And I thought Trout got more than one total base because he got a single and then he walked. So isn't that two two total bases? Underdog says I did not get that correct. And same thing with Lindor, even though I saw him on third base today. So that's more than one and a half total bases. So maybe I'm missing something there. Uh, But those are my picks, my entries uh, for yesterday. You can join me in some WBC entries, your selections, higher, lower, pick them, or best ball, getting ready for the baseball season. Click that link that is in the description for a 100% deposit match. So let's say you deposit, when you sign up, deposit $10, you get $10 free. So you have, you'd have $20 uh, in your account. $50, you'd have $100, right? You just up to $100. So if you, uh, you deposit $90, you'd have $180. You get what I'm saying? So feel free to do that. Uh, it's there for you guys to use. To, again, the promo code Talking Friars, like I said uh, moments ago. All right, let's get to some San Diego State talk here. So, San Diego State selection Sunday was yesterday. San Diego State, they are the five seed. There was some talk about, oh, maybe will they be a six seed? Will the committee not really value San Diego State's record? because they're just seeing a lot of close games, not in a Power 5 conference, not winning that Arkansas game earlier in the year. Like, how are they going to judge San Diego State? There were some, like, I think ESPN, CBS Sports, was having San Diego State as a sixth seed entering Sunday. But like I was saying on Twitter, it doesn't matter what those people think. It matters what the selection committee thinks, and the selection committee gave San Diego State the five seed. I think they deserve the five seed. In the net, they were a four seed. If you just divide four by, uh, or you you just put the top four teams as the one seeds, State was in the top 16 in the net. So they would have been a four seed by that. But the selection committee has them as as a five. And they will face College of Charleston, who is 31-3 and this year. They've won 10 games in a row. They will face them on Thursday at, 12 10 Pacific time, and that game is on True TV. So, good luck finding that channel uh, if you have never watched True TV before. This is like the one time annually where sports fans have to try to go find True TV because they've never watched True TV during the year. All they do it, all they have True TV for is for March Madness for like a day or two in the year where they just have it in their cable package and they're like, all right, we have True TV. That's cool, but where is it? Uh, and so, yeah, True TV. You would think San Diego State should be able to win this. I mean, they're a five seed, and Charleston is the 12. But Charleston, they did have uh, a win against Virginia Tech, I believe, this year. And again, they, they, they've won 10 games in a row. 
Now, San Diego State, they're playing pretty good basketball right now. I mean, shooting-wise, they need to get better on. But they're playing defense. They're making their free throws. That should result in a win on Thursday if they can continue that. They should win this game. If they don't win this game, that's it's going to be it's going to end up being a disappointing season. I don't know about a failure because you know you won your Mountain West Conference regular season. You won the tournament as well. You swept that. But look, what San Diego State fans, I think at least most San Diego State fans care about most now is Brian Dutcher. What what does his Aztecs team do? come March Madness? What do you do in the NCAA tournament? Because it's great to win the Mountain West, but what are you going to do in the tournament? Like That's what matters. It's like the Padres. What matters now is what are they going to do in the postseason? Are they going to get to the World Series this coming year? Right? With the Aztecs, can you win a tournament game? Can you win two games? If the Aztecs beat Charleston, they would face probably Virginia. Virginia is in that bracket. If they get past that, in the Sweet 16, they would face Alabama, who is the one seed in this group. So it's not the best draw for San Diego State. Charleston, never heard of the school, but that 31-3 and record is pretty dang good. I know that's not a great conference, but that's still impressive. doesn't matter what conference you're in, 31-3. and That's a really good year. I think that's the conference record, probably, for uh, amount of wins in one season. So they're a talented team. Sango State should win this game, though, like I said. I, th I think, look, I think the depth is going to be big in this game for San Diego State. I was looking at Charleston, their championship game. They used seven players, only seven, two guys deep on the bench. San Diego State used nine, right? You can have Ladie coming off the bench. You can have a rope coming off the bench. If he's not starting, you can have uh, Adam Seiko come off the bench, right? Like, there's... There's different options, a lot of depth for the Aztecs. And that can help because you know in the NCAA tournament, these guys are going to be going all out. I know they go out all out usually and they play really hard defense, but they're going to be really going all out. Uh, intense effort. So you might see some guys go in for a few minutes and then get taken out and kind of like shifts in hockey. Like really San Diego State utilized that, that depth. And when... They see Charleston players getting tired and they have to stay on the floor. They can bring in some fresher legs that are maybe even more talented than those Charleston starters. So I see San Diego State winning this game. If they don't, it will be a disappointing, disappointing season. That is for sure. If they can beat Charleston and, you know, playing Virginia, we'll, we'll get, we can get to that when that happens. Uh, but Thursday, 12-10, San Diego State, I think they should be happy being a five seed. Maybe it's not the best draw. They don't get to play in Sacramento. But I think it's a, it's a, it's, I think it's a nice first-round draw. They're not playing. They don't have to play Syracuse or play Creighton, right? You get Charleston. Now, maybe that's a bad thing. And it ends up being an upset, which would suck. But... I think it's a good first-round draw. I don't know about the, the, the round of 32, the round of 16, if the top seeds win. But, again, we can worry about that when they get there. If they get there. When they get there. So, all right. That's pretty much it. If anyone else has any more comments. I'm just checking the chat here one more time. 
Uh, Mills says, are you kidding me? Will Smith is a badass catcher. You're nuts. I'm not saying Will Smith sucks. I know he's a good catcher. He's one of the best catchers in baseball. I just don't think that he did very good today. He had an error that they didn't count as an error. A ball that just hit off his glove and, and a guy advanced. Uh, didn't throw out Austin Barnes. I know that Remuto's not going to play every game, but I think Remuto should be in there tomorrow. Uh, looks like some people in here, they're talking about the 2020 team. Yeah, that's one of those big what-ifs, right? 30-2, and two, probably going to be a two-seed in the tournament, and then obviously COVID has to happen. Yeah, I, I, Gil, they, might, they were destined for the Elite Eight. They might have made it to the Final Four. That's how good that team was. Malachi Flynn has told me that in person, that they thought they were going to make it to the Final Four. Uh, not me solo asked, so are we in the East bracket? Um, I don't know. It, it's the Orlando. They're playing in Orlando. I'm looking up the bracket right now. So bear with me here for a second. Okay, so they're in the South. Yeah, South region. So they play, if they beat Charleston on Thursday, they'll play the winner of the Virginia-Furman game. If they win that, they'd play the winner of probably Alabama and either Maryland or West Virginia. But that's a long ways down the road, right? That, that feels like a long way out. We got to worry about beating Charleston first. Again, Dutcher has to win a game first. All right, that's going to do it. Talking Friars episode 362. We covered a lot in this show. It's 1230 in the morning. For those of you here that are live, I appreciate you for being here. I really, really do appreciate it. Padre fans, San Diego sports fans are the best. If you're on replay, I appreciate you as well. Podcast listeners, thank you so much for tuning in here. Again, Talking Friars episode 362. Ben Fadden signing off. Have a great night, everybody. And I'll talk to you guys later. See ya.